Welcome to Biblical Higher Ed Talk, where we tap into the wisdom of leaders and practitioners of biblical higher education for the advancement of colleges and universities teaching the way of Christ in the modern world. Each week, we'll tackle topics around leading your organization, expanding your impact in the world, and deepening your faith through Christ-centered conversations. Ready to make a difference in the lives of your faculty, staff, and students? Then let's begin our journey. Today on Biblical Higher Ed Talk, I sit down with Jenna Dunn, provost at Start College and Seminary in Corpus Christi, Texas, to discuss the ins and outs of being a woman in biblical higher education leadership. Jenna is among a growing number of female leaders using their gifts and talents to effectively serve in leadership positions across ABHE institutions. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm your host, Philip Dearborn, president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education. And we are honored to have as our guest this week, Jenna Dunn. Jenna serves as the provost at Start College and Seminary. In addition, she also serves as the chair of ABHE's Commission on Accreditation. And I've invited Jenna to talk about academic leadership, being effective in academic leadership, uh, but specifically through the lens of being a female leader. Uh, and uh, certainly we know that the majority of leaders within ABHE historically uh, have been male leaders. So we figured we'd jump right in and tackle the topic. Jenna, really appreciate you being with us. To kick off our conversation, Jenna, as you reflect back over your ministry experience, share with us one defining moment that God used to propel you forward, either in your personal life or your professional life? Yeah, as as I reflected on this question, I go back to really my upbringing, but then also the, the significant moment happened in, in seminary. It was an experience I, I had with a professor while completing my MDiv, who now serves at a fellow ABHE institution, BH Carroll, Dr. Karen Bullock. I had her as a faculty member uh, when I was getting my MDiv. And I grew up in a fairly conservative Southern Baptist uh, church, and I felt a calling early on to ministry, but I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't have any examples of women in ministry apart from those serving in children's ministry or missions in my context. And I knew working with children was not my gifting. I commend those who who can and do. But Jenna, uh, I'm, I'm I'm with you on that one. My <laughs> wife's a preschool teacher. Put me in front of a group of a thousand people. I'm fine. Put yeah. me in front of a classroom of four year olds. No way. It's not going to happen. I, I can barely manage my two year old. It's <laughs> it's not my gifting. And and so I assumed that missions was was where I was supposed to head. And so I was pursuing an MDiv in cross-cultural studies. I dove into mission trips. But during that class and really during during my seminary experience overall, I was drawn to courses that were um, like hermeneutics classes, interpretation of scripture, Bible classes, and the opportunity to read about the context of the biblical text and how that impacts application and meaning was fascinating to me. And so I was really struggling with, am I supposed to do this missions thing? Because that's what 
I felt was the only thing that I could do as a female? Or is there something else? Is there something else that I could that I could pursue? And I was working at an assistant at the seminary at the time. I loved engaging with students and the administrative side of things, but I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't, again, biblical higher education doesn't have, and especially at that time, this is 15 years ago, it, it didn't have many female leaders. And until I took this course with Dr. Bullock, who really encouraged my passion and giftedness in biblical interpretation and teaching and administration. And she actually suggested, she told me that I should look into a career in theological higher education. And her example, seeing her doing what she was doing at Carroll, really led me to believe that it was possible. And so seeing it done really impacted me significantly. And so I ended up staying with Stark after completing my MDiv and moved from student worker to registrar, registrar to institutional accountability to student experience, and then now provost. And so I've been here for 15 years. And really, Dr. Bullock, she kind of spurred that moment. And she actually had a separate conversation with our current president, who was the president at the time, Dr. Tony Salali, and told him that he should invest in me. And so that was very valuable as well. Isn't it amazing how I've heard other stories of, of people who have impacted and a lot of times it's that it's a faculty member or somebody in the college setting. And it's typically maybe the spark was created in the context of the classroom, but then that relationship is built outside the classroom and they just mentor and speak into your life. And that's really cool. I'm just curious. Do you still have a, a relationship with her? Yeah. So not that we talk regularly, but we see each other semi-regularly at at Texas Baptist <laughs> events and things of that nature. And so, yeah, she's actually, she made an announcement about a month ago that she's retiring and I'm excited for her and to see what the next kind of stage of her life holds. I hope she publishes more. Right. Good. Good. Great. So you've you've been. Uh, I think you said that you've been in in higher education now for fifteen years at Stark College, but then also you've kind of now expanded. You're the chair of the Commission on Accreditation for ABHE. Uh, what is it about leadership in general that you love the most? So it's being what Dr. Bullock was for me for someone else. She and Dr. Sully really have given me great examples of pouring into someone and seeing their potential when they don't even really see it. I enjoy getting the opportunity to coach others and to see them rise, to fulfill the potential that they may not see that I can see that they have. It's the reason I stay in the classroom, even though, I mean... <laughs> the time it takes to teach is is more than probably I I sometimes have or want to give but I just I love seeing when students and when faculty get it and then run with it uh, specifically when it comes to our faculty and and our mission we are very mission driven at Stark and you can do everything in your power to vet a faculty member before you hire them, but you never know if they're going to get it, if they're going to thrive in the environment that you have. We have a pretty high achieving environment at Stark, and there tend to be a lot of, of like sink or swim moments. <laughs> I've had them, everyone has had them, but 
of what drives us is our mission. And so for me, it brings me so much joy to see a faculty member go from confused about why we might do things a certain way to be becoming a champion of our mission and vision and, and really thriving because of it. And taking initiative to make changes that align with our mission, then they start finding things that are misaligned and are taking initiative to put them more in align with our mission. And that, that just, I love it. Yeah. So, so discipleship, right. Which is, and I love the fact that the mentor that you mentioned poured into you and now you're turning around and paying it forward basically with those that you lead. And that's, I resonate with that too, Jenna, from a leadership perspective is identifying somebody's capacity and knowing what that is, and then being able to lead them to that capacity, which you want to push them, but you don't want to push them too fast or too hard or beyond that capacity. You just want to be like one, one tick above that, right? So that they're motivated to, to, to keep uh, moving forward. It's always a balance. It is. So real quickly, you're uh, chair of the commission. You've been chair of the commission now for, I think, just over a year. Is that correct? No, not even a year. No, right? not even. Yes. I was vice chair for a year before before I was chair. So it may seem like longer, but. That's right. So how's it going? It's going well. It's a lot of work, but I love what we're, the processes we're going through right now. Being involved in the standards review has been really exciting work to hear from the institutions about what is working, what's not working. We spend a lot of time with evaluators to see what's working and what's not working. And so a lot of people contributed to this really huge effort. And so we have a draft and it's out there and we're anticipating feedback. But that process has been, while a lot of work, it's been really exciting to see and make things better. I love editing. So (laughs) the process of taking something that is good, but making it that much better and trying to figure out the best approach and the best way to say something that's clear and concise. Yeah, that's been fun. And so this, that process has really taken over my first half a year as chair, but we've had a great team. Lisa has been amazing and kind of leading us and the criteria committee has been great about providing feedback through the process. And so we're excited to see what the institutions think about it. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is sponsored by ABHE, the Association for Biblical Higher Education. At ABHE, bringing the love and light of Christ to the world is reflected in our drive to see our member institutions flourish, leading them to a time of success for their institution and giving them the tools and insights they need to look toward the future. Interested in learning more about membership with ABHE? Visit us at abhe.org or send us an email to membership at abhe.org. ABHE is your partner committed to advancing biblical higher education for kingdom impact. Now, back to the show. And uh, Lisa speaks so highly of you. Uh, so we, we appreciate the work that you do on the, on the commission. And I know members who are listening in uh, appreciate that as well. So it's, it's, it's fully volunteer work. So in the midst of doing your, your full-time job and raising your two-year-old now, I think, right? Is that what you said? Yes. Yes. Two-year-old. 
Yep. And then sharing a commission on accreditation. Why not? Right. Add, add it to the mix. So, all right. So, so let's dig in here. And I'm a straight shooter in asking questions. So we want to kind of, I want to dig a little bit into, obviously, you're a female, you're a woman leader in leadership. And in my time, I've been part of ABHE for over 26 years through my being at a previous ABHE institution. So I've gone to a lot of annual meetings and probably like you, 15 years ago, when you went to your first one, you looked around the room and I remember 26 years ago, looking around the room, it was predominantly male, almost exclusively with very, very little diversity, even within that. And fast forward to today, I'm in. I'm encouraged with the direction that we're, we're headed. You look around the room, even this past year, you definitely see a great mix of male, female, and the diversity factor is, is increasing as well. And also younger leaders, which is so cool to see. So I don't think we've arrived. I think there's some more room for us to grow. So kind of unpack a little bit, and I'll ask a few questions as we have this conversation. Talk to us about how you approach leadership as a woman? Yeah, I don't know that I approach leadership any differently than a man would approach leadership, but I do make a conscious effort to be myself, which was very difficult for me early in my leadership journey. We love Patrick Lencioni at, at Stark and in his discussion of the ideal team player, he talks about the the three essential virtues of the ideal team player is humble, hungry, smart. And humility is the virtue that I tend to struggle with the most. But I've struggled with different aspects of humility throughout my my time in leadership. Lencioni just describes the road to humility having two ditches, those who lack self-confidence and those who are overly arrogant. And like you said, biblical higher education leadership has been male dominated. I do remember when I went to my first annual meeting and being the only female in the room in so many sessions. And initially this, it it was a real struggle for me. And I felt immediate imposter syndrome. When you are the only one like you in a group, it's easy to lose your self-confidence and feel as though you don't belong. And for a long time, I struggled with that self-confidence. I was generous and positive with others, but I could not find my voice and be confident in God's calling to this work and be confident that God would sustain me through it. And and C.S. Lewis says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And I was thinking less of myself. And so that at this time, I felt like I didn't belong. I wasn't called to this work because... I was the only one like me. And in that sense, I was diminishing God's calling and his ability to sustain and equip me through that season. But then as I gained experience and and knowledge, I finished my doctorate. It has been easier for me to slide into the other ditch of humility and taking pride in my place as one of few females in this industry and in this role. I had trouble engaging in constructive conversations, specifically as it relates to women in leadership and ministry, assuming that only I and others like me had something to bring to the conversation. And so this is a constant struggle for me, but I seek to find a balance between those two ditches of lack of self-confidence and arrogance. The struggle has not necessarily been outside of myself in leadership, but an internal 
struggle to maintain that that humility, know that I am called to this, but be open to listening and to the contributions of others, admitting fault, knowing that I don't have all the answers, even if I have knowledge and experience in the field. I love I love that imagery of the two ditches. And it sounds like for you it was a it was a it was a journey over a period of time. It wasn't a point in time that you made that that transition. And it sounds like too as you're talking that while you've gotten yourself in into the right ditch of it what are some uh, practical things that draw you out of that in that journey that that pull you back to the other side? What are some some examples that you have experienced that, that tend to do that? My coworkers, <laughs> we have very high trust relationships here at Stark, especially amongst our cabinet. We have an amazing team and we have trust enough with one another that we can call each other out when we see each other slipping into what we call our thirds in the Lencioni virtues. And so we constantly remind each other of, oh, hey, you're slipping into this. You're not really listening. And so just just letting you know, this is a check for that. And so we we are constantly holding each other accountable, which is scary at first to have that high trust environment, but I don't think we could do what we do without it. I can't imagine working in a team where I didn't have that. And so that's definitely one major thing is having my team around me to call me out when yep. when I'm slipping into those that is, those roles. That that is huge. And and I think probably the struggle, if you were to put a word to it, it's it's vulnerability, right? And in, in order in order to have people be truth tellers in, in your life, there's a sense of vulnerability, of exposure, where I often ask people, okay, if you're gonna call me out on something, call call me out on something, but do it with grace, right? Uh, be, because because there's a lot wrapped up in that and and that sense of of having to be vulnerable. Just curious with your leadership team, are there other female leaders then on that leadership team? Yes, we actually have a fairly diverse leadership team. Our president, Dr. Slully, is is male, white male, and then our CFO as well, Dr. Stapper. But they both have church experience. Dr. Stapper is actually bivocational right now. He is the pastor of a local church here in Corpus Christi, and so that's phenomenal. And then the other two members of our team are both Hispanic females. And so Vice President Villarreal, she is working on finishing her EDD right now. And she is our champion of our um, McAllen location. And she is just a phenomenal advocate for students. She oversees student experience. And then our newest cabinet member is Rochelle Root. She's our chief of staff, essentially. And she's also, she and her husband are starting a church. And so also a local pastor and speaks just great, has a lot of vulnerability and speaks a lot of truth (laughs) into our meetings. And so, yeah, extremely diverse cabinet. And that has really helped. This may be a question that's coming, but for females in leadership positions or females who aspire to leadership positions, having an advocate who will make that a priority is so valuable. Dr. Salelli has been intentional about not only hiring diverse individuals, but uh, making sure that that diversity is represented at all levels of the institution and our faculty and our staff in our cabinet. 
And for us, I mean, our student population is around 60% Hispanic and 20% African American. And so if we didn't have diversity in our leadership, I think that would be a failure on our part. But he has really been an advocate of being intentional about diversity and in our hiring processes. Tony is is a great guy. And I think a great leadership lesson kind of coming out of this is how do you support a diverse leadership team, male, female, or ethnicity? Well, you have to do it by example. And so what he's done, he's created an environment where that diversity actually does exist at all levels of the institution. And he's really done a phenomenal job with that. And so curious too, with as a female leader, obviously you've talked about some of the challenges for you personally. Are there opportunities that present themselves uniquely because you are a a female leader? It's difficult in biblical higher education because depending on the denomination or the kind of theological approach to women in leadership, which I completely respect across the board, I think women in ministry and women in leadership can be argued from many theological perspectives. And so there have been, I think, fewer opportunities for me than maybe my peers But for those who are champions of women in those positions, they will find you and they will seek you out. I mean, ABHE has really given me so many opportunities at annual meetings, at conferences to share what we are doing at Stark. And I think that's because ABHE is intentional about diversity as well in their conferences and in annual meetings. And so I've been fortunate that I get to, to, take advantage of those opportunities. And that's led to other opportunities where other institutional leaders and I have had a chance to grow and talk and I'm given opportunities to speak at their institutions, which for me is is really valuable just to see what other institutions are doing and and talk to their leadership teams, their faculty. And I think that helps us all when we're in conversation with one another. Right. Right. And, and, and we have been very, very intentional as a movement. And you raise a good point that, you know, I often talk about the breadth of, of ABHE and what we represent. And, you know, you talk about one our largest institution is Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Our smallest is St. Photius in uh, Northern California, right? I so, love them. I, I was an evaluator on a team to St. Photius. And so oh, I have a special place for them. And I just love that that diversity of institution of who we serve. And I would say generally, while there there are definitely some different theological perspectives on women's role in in ministry, there's a level of respect across the movement, which I really appreciate, which allows for kind of that that sharing to to happen. Well, we're getting close to the end here, but I. I am curious, and you kind of alluded to this, we have aspiring leaders who are listeners, and some of them may, may be female leaders or aspiring leaders. What You kind of gave one word advice, but what, what advice would you give to somebody who was you 15 years ago? Yeah, and I, I mentioned finding an advocate. I think that is so valuable. Find someone who will be your champion, because in some circles, you're going to need one. You're going to need somebody to introduce you to people. You're going to need somebody to say, yes, I know she's young, but listen, 
it is so valuable to have that person to to advocate for you when others may not listen because of your youth or because of your gender or because of your ethnicity. And so I think that is is so very valuable. Trust God's call. <laughs> I go through seasons, like I mentioned earlier, where I doubt why God put me in this place. And I'm sure everyone goes through this. I think for females, especially when we are pulled in many directions, I have a two-year-old at home. My husband's in the Navy. He was gone for a lot of our marriage. And so trusting that I am supposed to be in the position I am, even when my child is in a daycare or even when my husband is away and I'm managing work and home, it's sometimes difficult to trust God's call. But if you are staying in the word, we have we have really appreciated the promotion by ABHE of reading through the Bible. We've actually, so our executive cabinet did it together last year when ABHE did it, and then we're doing it again this year. And so staying in the word and staying in the word with people who are around you, I think is so valuable just to say, stay spiritually equipped to, to manage when that doubt and fear creeps in. And then this, this is something that I hope females don't have to do in the future. But in my experience, you have to work harder than your male peers. You have to put forth more effort. You have to continually innovate and take initiative where they may not have to because it's assumed that they're doing well. And so I think that's changing. That has changed for me personally, and I hope in in other places it is as well. But I would still say plan to work harder. Yeah, yeah. And Jenna, I I just want to say as we close, so appreciative of your your time because in a lot of ways especially within our movement you've been out in front with that and even as you reference you know your first your first meeting and and the only female in the room of some of those early conferences yet you persisted and i think about other leaders both male and female i think you're a fantastic example of and i i love how you bring it back to your relationship with god god's call does not deviate day to day right The call that he had for your life is yesterday is the call that he had today. And to cling to that consistency of of God in your life uh, is is such great advice. So I just want to say thank you uh, for for sharing today. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for uh, all of the experiences uh, that you shared. So until next time, stay kingdom focused. Thanks for listening to Biblical Higher Ed Talk. For more, follow or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're delighted that you chose to spend a part of your day with us and encourage you to reach out to us with feedback, topics, or guests for the show. You can get in touch with Philip, your host, via LinkedIn or at biblicalhigheredtalk at abhe.org. Biblical Higher Ed Talk is a production of the Association for Biblical Higher Education in association with Westport Studios. Views expressed on this show are those of the participants and may not reflect the views of ABHE or Westport Studios. Bring light and life to your Biblical Higher Educational Organization 
by inquiring about membership with ABHE at abhe.org. We'll catch you next time.